0: welcome to the calvary cast a podcast from calvary bible church in grand junction colorado at calvary we exist for the glory of god the good of his people and the great commission
1: well, greetings and salutations to the listeners of the Calvary Cast. We're back for another episode. I am Graham Parker, Associate Pastor at Calvary Bible Church in Grand Junction, Colorado. And across from me is the, the lovely Jess Miller, uh, Lead Pastor here. Very lovely. Very lovely. You know, I listened to, as I was editing last week's podcast, uh, we were very awkward. We sounded like we hadn't recorded a podcast in months.
0: Right. And now... Maybe today will be less awkward. Maybe. But it's already not feeling (laughs) that way.
1: (laughs) Probably not the case. So, oh, well, what can you say? you got to put up with us. Uh, Today we are in Psalm 38. We are going to uh, discuss this, like we mentioned last time. We're going to kind of make the focus of our podcast going forward, just uh, looking at different passages of Scripture and kind of thinking through those, and hopefully they'll be an encouragement to you guys. And so today we're looking at Psalm 38. Uh, Maybe we'll jump in by just reading the text. That's a good idea. Well, here we go. Let me read Psalm 38 for us. Psalm 38 is a psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stands far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouths are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully." Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation.
0: Well, good. So um, David is the author of this psalm, and we're not really sure what the circumstances were that he was going through um, that was causing him such distress but i think it's very clear he was in distress um and feeling very much uh cast down and uh oppressed and um and the reason for it is very clear and that's his own sin so um he is burdened by his uh sin he calls them his sin his iniquity his foolishness and because of that he knows he's under Divine chastisement—he's—he's he's experiencing really divine displeasure, and that's why he begins it by asking the Lord not to rebuke him in anger, or discipline him in wrath. And he says, "For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me." He talks in here about a lot of emotional pain he—he's going undergoing, but he also mentions uh, some physical ailments and whether or not he's speaking there. Uh, literally, like that something really has struck him physically or or what it is, uh, he is clearly uh, in a lot of distress. It's a, a deeply feeling psalm, and it's one of the penitential psalms. There's about seven of those in the psalms where it's expressing uh, really a convec- uh, conf- confession of sin and a conviction of one's sinfulness. And so David knows he sinned, he knows uh, he's under God's divine displeasure, and he's expressing the feelings that uh, really go along with that. And um, and so when I think of this psalm, and, and I've meditated on this psalm at times, and times where I know I've blown it, when I have sinned, or when I'm really wrestling with that, and um, I think it's helpful for us to... To have this, and uh, even to have uh, a man like David, who is uh, was we're told was a man after God's own heart, who was the king of Israel, to be candid about his own sin and the results of that in his life, I think is is really um, helpful for us and encouraging to us.
1: Yeah, I I agree. As I read this psalm, the thing that really and meditated on the things that really stood out to me were the that emotional nature. And not only just because of, uh, he feels his sin, like we were talking about, he feels the rebuke of the Lord because of that, but also he feels, and you'll read in here, abandonment, right? Verse 11, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague. Uh, so he feels that, uh, a relational tension that all of us feel. And this is where I think it is a great encouragement when we do think about David, a man after God's own heart, that deals with the same things that we deal with. So personal sin, feelings of affliction from the Lord, abandonment, physical physical pain and difficulty. That's a real uh, trial for many of us, right, is that that uh, physical ailment, Um the the frustration of the the success of the wicked, right? Uh, in a sense, there's some lament in here that those, like verse uh, 12, those who seek my life lay their snares, those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. So it's a very emotional psalm that we can... Uh, th- this is where the Word of God is so applicable to every area of our lives, is it not, mm-hmm. that, that it, yeah. it, it speaks to us in that way?
0: Yeah, and I think it even speaks to the, the um, devastating effects of sin you know as you're saying he's expressing all these different kinds of emotions isolation being one sometimes when people are struggling with particular sins uh it it isolates them from their loved ones or their church community uh it makes them feel at odds i guess with god would be one way of expressing it and so fear is just has this um Dev or uh, sin has this uh, devastating uh peace destroying joy robbing uh relationship killing effect and so even as you've just been uh talking about that and we were reading this i was thinking about how devastating uh, to our well-being uh sin is
1: you know the other thing that if if people are reading through the psalm is Notice how David takes ownership of his own sin, and this is again, this is a model for us. So like in verse three, he says, "This is my sin, verse four, my iniquities, verse five, my wounds, verse five, my foolishness uh verse eighteen, my iniquity, my sin. So again, a, a proper response is is that we recognize these are these are my my sins and I own up to them.
0: Yeah, that's called confession, right? Right. So both in the Old Testament and New Testament, Israel and the church, uh, we are a confessing, a sin-confessing people. We confess our sins against God and to God. And uh, uh, this is uh, just a characteristic of his people. And it it hasn't changed. Uh, we we know that we are to be a people who are uh, confessing our sins, and interestingly, you read through some of the recorded prayers in the Old Testament uh, of people, and there is that acknowledgement of sin, both personal and then, of course, corporate for their nation. But um, sin is our biggest issue and biggest problem, no matter what else we think uh, is. Sin is our biggest problem and our biggest issue, and uh, God has uh, is showing us here through Psalms like Psalm 38 really a proper response to our sinfulness and how and in a, you know how do you I guess my question would be for anybody listening how do you feel about your sin mm. you know how does your sin make you feel and do you could does this resonate with you at all right I mean maybe we're not always walking around in Psalm 38 so cast down that we're almost physically ill lying in bed or whatever. But I'm saying, like, uh, is, is sin a small thing to you, or is it a big thing to you? Yeah. Is it, like, do it, does it bother you at all? Do you have a, a conviction of your personal sin? Yeah.
1: You know, if that's not there, that it, it really is a—there's a, pride in your life, right? There, pride keeps us from recognizing our sin in this way, acknowledging it as our own that needs to be dealt with. So the gospel transforms us and humbles us and shows us that we are sinners and we need to humble ourselves before the Lord in this way.
0: Yeah, and Jesus said when the Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin, or you could say convince the world of sin. And um, it is a mark of a person who has the Holy Spirit uh, to have that real convinced feeling about their sin, that it is wrong, they don't want it. You know, we spent uh, a week looking at Romans 7 as a church last week, and this is where Paul, it's kind of a parallel passage to Paul and, and or to Psalm 38 in some ways, uh, where Paul is just saying, you know, I, I constantly find that I want to do right, but I don't do it perfectly. I fail, I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I should do. And then he makes the the statement in there that uh, would make any um, self-esteem teacher very uh, uncomfortable. He says, wretched man that I am. Uh, that's a reflection of a person like David. Uh, Paul was analyzing his own flesh and sin and has just come to the conclusion that he is a, uh, a real sinner and needs deliverance. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And, of course, he answered her. That is Jesus.
1: You know, one other thing that I was thinking about in regards to this psalm that I want to bring out is what he, he talks about in those first three verses is the rebuking aspect that, that the psalmist feels, where he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. And as I was, I was meditating on that, I was thinking, in no way is David accusing the Lord of anything, right? This, that that request, O Lord, rebuke me not in in your anger, is in no way accusatory. Um... And again, this is a response, right, uh, that he understands, again, his sin, and he understands that the most holy God sees his sin, right? And he knows what sin is to God. It's an affront to his holy and righteous character. So it's a right response to say, oh, Lord, rebuke me, not in your anger. But the other thing that I was thinking about is it is right for the Lord to rebuke us uh, for our sin, Um when we feel that rebuke, we also can plea for mercy, and we find mercy in the Lord. He is a merciful and gracious God. That's why David can, can say this, because he knows the mercy of God uh, towards sinners. So I think like we, we, at times, should feel that rebuke, in a sense, for our sin. That's the conviction of the Spirit. So understand that that's not a negative thing. When you feel that in your life, that's not a negative thing. That is, that is a good thing. Yet there's still pain that comes with it, with any rebuke, even if you think about if somebody's ever rebuked you personally, you know what that's like. There's pain that comes with it, but it's usually it brings about change and transformation in your life uh, as they bring out those things. So a rebuke is is necessary, and I think also then we have to think about what's a right response to the rebuke of the Lord, and it's a recognition that the Lord is right in his rebuke and that the Lord is merciful to those who, who need rebuked.
0: Right. And we so we talked about before we began the podcast, um, really how we view a psalm like Psalm 38 as a Christian, because there is I think there is a Christian way to read this. And by that, I mean this. Right. When David wrote Psalm 38, he was in another time um, before Jesus and before the cross. And um, I think that there is a way that is good and healthy that we can turn to a passage like this that deals with sin and even David's feelings about it and conviction and confession and kind of shine a little more light into it with what God has done for us through Jesus in the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we talked about some, some ways in which we should do that. Right. And uh, so one of the things is, when we confess sin now, the Bible has given us even more assurance of forgiveness that we have in Jesus than the Old Testament believer had. Of course, they had assurance of forgiveness and confession of sin, and many of the sacrifices that they offered at the temple uh, spoke to that. They understood that, I think. A true, true Israelite believers understood the idea of forgiveness, As a matter of fact, David in our psalm says, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Um, But the New Testament just gives us even more light, things they would have loved to have seen. And that was God's perfect sacrifice for David's sin as well as our sin and the times we blow it and sin against God. And we're in this state where we sense and feel the weight of our sin and we feel bad about it as we should. And, uh, and we're wrestling with it in our emotions, and we're praying to God and confessing it. But we need to remember what John says in 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John also says uh, in, in those passages, he says, I am um, uh, writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have the, our perfect spotless righteousness is Jesus Christ, who's interceding for us. Uh, we have, we learned in uh, Colossians, I think last week or two weeks ago, we have, we possess um, redemption, which means the forgiveness of our sins. And so we, we need to be able to inform ourselves even of that gospel when we're in this state, because otherwise what you do too, what could happen, uh, when you are really uh downcast over your sin um, and you forget to remind yourself of the gospel, it can bring you it can lead you into despair uh, which isn't good for the Christian
1: no despair is not good for the Christian and even David at the end of the psalm you know doesn't stay in a place of despair if I could like point out like verse 18 so we see again confessing sin confessing iniquity. And then in verse twenty, he does he talks about doing what is good. So for the Christian, like this is repentance is turning from sin and then doing what's right, doing what Jesus has commanded. And then notice in verse twenty one and twenty two, again a cry to the Lord: "Don't forsake me, O God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation." So rather than falling into the pit of despair, yep, yep. we 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 run to Christ.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because he even says in verse 15, For you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. So he is confident in God's help and forgiveness and restoration. And he sees those things. So we need to remind ourselves of that when we're confessing sin and when we've fallen. And I think the other passage that we were talking about was Hebrews 12. Right,
1: because that deals with this rebuking aspect. Because we understand, like you were just talking about what, the the assurance that we have in Christ, how that causes us to look at our sin and deal with our our sin and not fall into despair. But we do feel this rebuking discipline aspect as well. So what does Hebrews 12 say?
0: He says, um, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Uh, and this is really important because when we are struck with hard times or what is it, whatever's happening to us, uh, it is a good practice to think about the fact that, and maybe we can't connect it to one particular sin. Maybe we can, but there is a disciplining that's happening here from God and it is a positive love-based heavenly father knows what we need discipline. It's painful for the time, but his goal is that it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. And, um, I think being able to view, uh, God's discipline through that lens and even seeing it as a father who loves his child is, uh, is really helpful.
1: You know, and that, that goes back to, again, Psalm 38, the rebuke of the Lord is not a negative thing. It's a, it's a necessary thing. I think one other passage that I, would, I wanna, want us to think about is over in 2 Corinthians 7, because there's, I think there's two ways that we can respond to uh, the conviction of sin, the rebuke of the Lord, and the discipline of sin. And, and Paul touches on this in 2 Corinthians 7. If you remember, in 1 Corinthians, he would written to the Corinthian church about sexual sin that was going on in their midst. They responded in a proper way and repented, and he says this about them. Verse nine, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I think sometimes what happens for Christians is that we can feel that rebuke, we can feel a tinge of remorse over sin, but we don't it it doesn't lead us to repentance, right? And, and what that is is that we feel a a tinge of regret. We feel that remorse over sin because we've been caught or uh, because, yeah, we've been found out, but it doesn't lead to to repentance. And what Paul is talking about, what David is talking about, that rebuke of the Lord that convicts us of sin, whereas we turn and we do what's right. You know, David says, I do what is good. And that's what the, the attitude of the, the Christian should be.
0: Now, two other things that, I'd like to draw out from this as we wrap up our discussion. The one is when you're, when we're being disciplined by God, when we feel the conviction of sin, it is true that God can be displeased with a, with a Christian. I believe that to be true because Paul tells us in the Bible to say, uh, do things to please the Lord, which means we could do things that displease him. Whether he gets angry or not, Uh, it depends, I guess, on what we would mean by angry. I'm not entirely sure how this works out, but here's where I'm going with this. He begins saying, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Now, we think about the word, especially that word wrath in the New Testament. We think about God's displeasure with us if we have sinned or we've been in rebellion against him and we know it. Um, We have to understand that his ultimate wrath towards our sin and that divine righteous anger has been satisfied in the cross. And that's a really marvelous thing. And the, the theological term for that is propitiation. Uh, Paul says in Romans 3 that um, God put forward Jesus as a propitiation for our sins. That, and that word means really just a, an appeasement of wrath. Uh, Christ was the wrath satisfier. So I think that when we look into, like we just read Hebrews 12, the key is my father my, is, is displeased with what I've been doing or what I did. I'm experiencing right now divine chastisement like I would if my uh, earthly father, I did something wrong. He's disciplining me for my good. But the wrath, ultimately the wrath, his love towards us have, has not changed. And that wrath has been satisfied. And so I think that is an important distinction, and I like to bring that out for, for Christians as we've gotten this fuller picture of those kinds of things through the cross. And the second thing we'll bring out is this. like What David is describing here is something Jesus in his earthly life never experienced. He had no idea what it was to experience divine displeasure. So for 33 years, roughly, Every day, he lived in the pleasure of his Father and knew he had pleased his Father, knew he had glorified his Father in everything he had done. Uh, He had no personal knowledge of sin at all. He knew what sin was. He just had never experienced what a sinner experiences, which is divine displeasure, anger, wrath, uh, discipline and chastisement from from God. And yet, what's really remarkable is that... uh, the, uh, Paul told the Corinthian church, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. And that one who, Jesus, who n- never had that feeling of divine displeasure or the worrying about God's anger and wrath or the the worry about his uh, forsaking him, Jesus then went to the cross and bore that uh, to an a unimaginable degree. For us, he took on that knowledge of sin. In that sense, he became sin for us, to the extent where he said, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And so that's a that's a marvelous teaching of the cross that I think helps inform uh, penitential psalms like this, and uh, all uh, lots of other psalms and things in the Old Testament for us that these are. These are things that Jesus would take these feelings and these emotions on himself uh, for us so that this isn't our eternal state. I mean, when we we are glorified, we're never going to be confessing sin again. We're never going to feel or have that knowledge of that divine displeasure ever again. And we have that eternal peace because of what Jesus did for us at the cross.
1: That's really good. That's really good news for Christians, and I hope that as we've walked through Psalm 38, and I hope that you guys who are listening to this, that you'll go and meditate on this as well, and you'll feel that emotion over the, over your sin. You'll feel all these things. At the same time, you'll look to Christ and see the immense love that God has for you, and you can view now all of these things in their proper place and view them rightly. That's
0: right. Good.
1: Well, we hope this conversation has been an encouragement and a help for you. If you ever have questions or comments about the things we've discussed, email us at thecalvarycast at gmail.com, or if you're a part of our church, uh, we'd love to talk in person with you about these things. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the great commission. Until next time.